Psalm 103. It's a very well-known psalm. We sing about it a lot. We've got uh, one of our songs, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. That's Psalm 103. It's where it comes from. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And what? What? Forget not his benefits. Exactly. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not his benefits. I love that. Forget not all of his benefits. I was, my first ever trip overseas was back when I, I got, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 19. And I went six months later and I joined this organisation called Youth of the Mission. And I did a training school with them. And part of that was three months in a classroom doing lectures and three months overseas field trip. Um, so I went to, I was blessed and lucky enough to go to Malaysia and Indonesia. And uh, we worked in some really um, uh, sort of difficult places and uh, my eyes were opened up very quickly to the reality of the fact that this Jesus that I had accepted in my uh, Western culture was not necessarily accepted or uh, in other cultures. Uh, we had some wild things happen on that trip. I had one of my team members had heroin um, uh, stashed on him. We were walking down the esplanade in, uh, in um, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And these two guys came up dressed in police uniforms and said, we've been told there's a tourist here with a gun, uh, we want to search your backpack. And so they searched his backpack, put it down and walked away. <laughs> when they walked away, he said, I just felt something on the inside wasn't right, so I sat on a bench. And I opened up my backpack and he went through it and he found this little vial of heroin that they'd planted on. And when he realised that, of course he panicked because it's the death penalty in Malaysia for drug trafficking, drug carrying. So he panicked and what he did was he just stuffed it in between the slats on this bench he was sitting on at the time, zipped up his bag, got up and started heading back to the bus. As he started heading towards the bus, he said those two guys on the other side of the road with its four lanes of cars, they saw him and they started calling out to him and started running in their uniforms and he panicked and he bolted, he just took off. And obviously what they were trying to do was to come back and now let's deal with it. Anyway, he went running and ended up hiding in the, the, the back of the van. And then this old man came over, but an hour later saw him and said, I saw what happened, and these people do this here. They're, they're criminals, and what they'll do, they'll plant that on you, then they'll come back and they'll put you in a car and they'll get a bri- solicit a bribe out of you. Otherwise, it's the death penalty, we'll take you to the police. So uh, I had things like that happen. There were other things that happened on my... This is my first time out of the country, so I'm loving Australia at this stage. Australia is a great place, you know. But when we got on the plane... We had to believe God for our airfares and so on. We got our airfares in. We bought the ticket. We went to the airport. We walked up to the counter at the airport. And our, um, our, our um, booking agent was, was part of... She was getting on the same plane, basically flying. I don't know what she was doing, but she was flying overseas as well. And we flew into Singapore. So she's there and she sees us and she's all happy with us because Youth With A Mission, we booked through this lady all the time because she was brilliant. She would say to the airlines when they'd ring up and go, can we get some money for this group of people that are going on the flight? She would say to them, she was not a Christian, but she would say, oh, just leave them alone. They're believing God, they'll get the money. And she wasn't a believer herself, but she would say to Qantas, they're believing God, leave them alone, they'll get the money in time, all right? And she'd hang up the phone on them and she'd hold these tickets for us. And so here she is on the plane. So, of course, we walked up, and we're all dressed with our backpacks, and I had a really great mullet back in those days. I had my thongs on, a pair of tracksuit pants, a muscle shirt. Didn't come with muscles, unfortunately, but I had the muscle shirt. 
uh, and I walked up and in my cap on and we've purchased our tickets and we got our tickets and she went ahead of us. She got a ticket. She stood to the side to watch us. She's in a business suit and everything like that. We rocked up dressed like hippies and the lady goes, oh, look, how would you guys like an upgrade to business class? And that was the last we saw of our, uh, our uh, uh, booking agent. She stormed off because she didn't get upgraded. So we got to go into business class. I'd never flown in my life. So you can imagine, your first flight is business class. You just think flying on airlines is amazing. I've since learnt it's not, it's not as good as what it was in business class. But anyway, we get up there and we're in business class and we're, we're on this flight and we're flying and we get off at the other end. When we get off at the other end, uh, yeah, people had flown a lot before and stuff and they're all excited about this opportunity to go business class. And then what happened was people started to ask me questions like, oh, did you, you know, how many chips did you eat? It's like, what? How many bags of chips did you eat? How many, how many cans of drink did you have? What? Yeah, you, you can drink as much as you want on that flight. When you get that ticket, you, you can drink as much as you want on that flight. Oh, I didn't know that. What about chips and lollies and and meals and food? You can have as much food as you want. And I'm thinking, I didn't know any of this. I'm just on a plane, just I don't know anything about it. You know? What about the slippers? Did you know you can get slippers in business class? Because it's always cold in airplanes. It's always cold. I hate you would hate planes, wouldn't you? Because they're always cold. Hey? Yeah. Get a blanket, of course, just like oh, I thought you had that over your legs, you don't. Okay. But you get there and they give you slippers. You know you can get slippers. I sat there freezing to death because the aircon's on. I didn't know I could get a pair of slippers to warm my feet up. I didn't know that. I didn't know I could have had blankets galore if I wanted to on that plane. I didn't know all these things. Apparently, when you buy a plane ticket, it's not just about the destination. There are certain benefits that you get on the way. Is it true? There are certain benefits you get on the way. I thought it was just about I paid the ticket. It's all just about the destination. That's all that matters. I purchased this ticket and now it's just about the destination. But what I found out was it's not just about the destination. There are certain benefits that come with the purchase of that ticket. And I had no idea and I missed out on as much chips as I wanted to eat. As much soft drink as I wanted, I missed out on slippers and robes and pens and all kinds of things that I could have had that were paid for in the price of my ticket. But I didn't know about the benefits that were afforded to me on the journey. You know, there are many, many things, benefits, we'll call them benefits, David calls them benefits that come to us with salvation. There are things that, salvation is not just about an end destination. It's not, here I am today and I give my life to Jesus and from that moment on, the only thing that's changed is when I die, I go to heaven. The only thing that's changed is, is when I pass from this life, I get to be with him. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget what? Forget not all his benefits. David says, forget not his benefits. Then if you read it closely, what does David do? He lists benefits that are akin to this time and this planet and this space. He talks about some things like healing. He says, he forgives all your sin. How many of you think when you get to heaven, you're going to sin and need God's forgiveness in heaven? No, because there'll be no sin in heaven. So you won't need forgiveness there. But he says one of the benefits of God is forgiveness of sin. Well, there's a benefit that's not about the destination. It's about the journey. That's a benefit of God right here for each and every one of us on earth. He goes on, he says, who heals all your diseases, sicknesses. Is there going to be sickness and disease in heaven? Probably not. Well, definitely not. Read the Bible. It's not going to be there. 
So when, when David talks about healing all your diseases and sicknesses as a benefit, he's not talking about the destination. He's talking about the journey. Somewhere along the way, he says there are certain benefits that come with our relationship with God. There are things that are there for us to lay claim to and lay a hold of. There are opportunities for us to walk in certain things, certain blessings, certain spaces here on planet Earth. It's not just about I come to Christ and I'm going to remain the same person for the rest of my life as I was the day I asked Jesus in. Nothing changes, nothing transpires, nothing shifts, nothing breaks, nothing moves. I'm just the same person, but hallelujah, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't know what was going on for David at this time. If you, you read uh, theological books and theologians, nobody knows exactly what was happening in David's life at this point. All we do know is this. Whatever was going on, David felt the need to remind himself. Look at who he's talking to. Bless the Lord, oh, your soul. Is that what he's saying? He's saying, bless the Lord, oh, somebody else's soul. He's saying, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. He's talking to himself. Whatever's going on in his world, we don't know. But what we do know is this. For whatever reason, at this point in his life, he felt the need to remind himself of the benefits of walking with God this side of heaven. He felt the need to remind himself. We can, we can, we can easily forget the benefits of our relationship with God. We live in a natural world surrounded by natural, primarily natural wisdom. We, we get a lot of natural instruction. We see things enough to make us feel like that must be normal because everybody's doing it. Well, that must be normal because everybody's feeling it. That must be normal because everyone's struggling with it. That must be normal and that's just part of life here on earth and and we'll just eke our way through it and one day it's okay because we'll leave it all behind and we'll go to heaven. But David's saying, no, 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 whatever's going on. David, he's saying, David, remind yourself, don't forget. Don't forget that there are benefits to following God here. There are things that your relationship with God affords you here on earth. When I worked for Dan Murphy's, when I used to work for Dan Murphy's, we were owned by Woolworths. So I got this little orange card called a staff card. Probably all of us have got little staff cards where they work. Now, that staff card, I would take that card and I could go to any Woolworths supermarket and buy food. And every time I swiped that card, whatever the cost was, I'd get 5% off the total bill. Didn't matter whether I felt happy, sad, whether I was in a good place or bad place. I swiped that card, I got 5% off my, my food. I would go to Woolworths service stations and swipe my card, I would get 4 cents off per litre. These were the benefits of being a part of that organisation, you know? Uh, when, I, when I worked for, interesting thing, when I worked there, I started off uh, out the back dock. And uh, when I first went there, they just simply said to me that, that you uh, come on in, we'll give you a job, uh, we'll give you 40 hours a week, but you'll just, just be a, 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 a sort of full-time 40-hour employee. Somebody else is, is going to have the management positions and somebody's going to be the backdrop supervisor and everything. So we worked, I worked really hard over a Christmas period. They said, at the end of this, we'll appoint this other person and you can be there too, I see. By the end of the Christmas period in the rush, they called me into the office, sat me down and said, Alan, we've noticed something. You work really, really good. Uh, we want to give you the job, not this other guy. We want you to be the back dock supervisor. We want you to run the show out the back. So I said, fantastic, yeah, signed the contract and I was back dock supervisor. Within a very, very short period of time, they came to me and said, Alan, you're doing such a fantastic job. Um, our, uh, our trainee manager is leaving. We want you to be our trainee manager. I said, fantastic. Found out what it was all about, signed up, became the trainee manager. 
Then they decided that um, the, the, um, one of the other managers, I had five managers at the time, another manager up for me was leaving rather than outsource it. They sat me down and said, Alan, you're doing such a great job. How would you like to step up into this? This all happened really quick within the space of almost a year. So I stepped up into this next position. Then, they, then Dan Murphy's culled their management from five managers per store to three. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm probably the, the first, last on, first off. But guess what? Alan, we want you to have this role. And I got that position. But you know what? When I swiped my card, I still got my 5% off. I still got my 4 cents off a lead and all that sort of stuff. There are other guys that worked with me, and this used to bug me a little bit, I guess. There are other guys that worked with me, and they didn't work as hard as me. They weren't diligent. They probably, if I was the boss, if I had the power to fire, I probably would have sacked a lot of them. But guess what? When they took their staff card and went to Woolworths to swipe it, guess what? They got 5% off. <laughs> when they went to the toil- uh, toilet, when they went to the petrol station, <laughs> when they went to the petrol station, they swiped their card, guess what? They got 4 cents off. They got four cents off. You see, the benefit had nothing to do with how good I was, how bad I was. It had nothing to do with me. The benefit had to do with the fact that they were in the company and the company made the decision to dish out the benefit. You see? The company made that decision. It had nothing to do with me. Uh, it didn't matter whether I was uh, good, bad, indifferent. It was, and I guess when I look at these benefits of God, I go in a similar way. I think that's what a benefit is. See, a benefit is this. If I could sum up what a benefit is, it's very simply this. A benefit is something that by virtue of your position... You have the right to ask for and expect. By virtue of my position in that company, I had the right to ask for my 5% off when I swiped the card. I didn't make the rules, they did, and that's what they said. So I swiped that card. I have a right to ask for that 5%. I have a right to expect the answer will be yes. Now, let's say, for example, though, that the company says, well, here's the deal. Christmas period, we're a little tight. What we're going to do is we're just going to switch off on your card For the next three months, we're not going to let you guys have your four cents off a litre because we need to cut costs a little bit here, so we're going to do that. They have the right to do that because I'm the recipient of the benefit, not the giver of the benefit. When we talk about the benefits of God, I don't want us to go to an extreme where we go, right, all these benefits, let's, let's have a look at this. As soon as I say something like, heals your diseases, does that mean that we just click our fingers and God has to heal everything? No. I don't necessarily think it means that. And I can show you biblical passages why I don't think the apostles believe that either. Having said that, what Jesus did on the cross was he reversed a lot of things that came into the world and upon humanity when sin came upon. What David's saying here is that it is a part of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Therefore, we do have the right to ask for physical healing. And we, we do have the, uh, because we have the right to ask for it, we should expect that the answer will be yes. A lot of things we don't ask for because we've already made our mind up and we're expecting a no. We're expecting a no. But if the Bible says, I'm not making this up, if the Bible says, if David believed, and the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, he sat close to the Lord. And David's saying these are some of the benefits of walking with God. These are some of the benefits of our relationship with him. The point he's trying to make is this. Don't just think I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah, isn't that awesome? There's more to it than that. There are benefits. There are things that God wants to do in my life while I'm here on planet Earth. There are changes he wants to make inside of me. You know, the Bible says that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. Anyone ever read that passage? Being conformed into the image of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, surely that means that the person I am right now is somewhat going to change somewhere down the track. There's a process happening around me whereby the person I am is becoming the person I should be. There's change taking place. I'm being conformed into something else. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget the benefits of God. Don't forget the benefits of walking with God. We easily forget 
the benefits of walking with God. Sometimes we can be on top of the mountain and we can forget the benefits of walking with God because when we're having a great deal of success, if we're not careful, we can sit back and look at ourselves and go, wow, isn't this easy? I've worked it out. I've worked out the formula. I know how this happens. And we can easily leave God behind in the most successful of times. Maybe David was having a lot of success at this point in his life. Maybe that's what he was saying. Dave, pull yourself together here, mate. Don't forget God. Don't forget that this success, these victories, the place you're standing in life, hey, God played a role in that. God got you there. Maybe he was in a valley. Maybe everything was, was, was not working out for him. Maybe he felt like he was losing. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was going terribly poor for him. And so from the bottom of the valley, maybe he's going, you know what, don't get depressed. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Why? Because there are benefits here. I've got a relationship with God and there are benefits here. He forgives, he heals, he restores, he redeems my life. He pours out loving kindness and tender mercies. You read it. I don't want to go into the whole thing, but you read Psalm 103. First five verses, he goes on and on and on. He lists these benefits. Reminds himself that, hey, like we said at the start of worship today, God is alive. The God we serve is alive. He is alive. Do we believe that? Or are we sitting here thinking he's a great philosophy? He really is. I mean, this God philosophy is awesome because it makes me feel lovely and soft and gooey on the inside. Just to think that there's some figment of my imagination out there that really loves me. Just to think that if God was real, this is what he would be like. He would be loving. He would be great. No, no, God is alive. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can't give life and create something if you're not alive yourself. Acts chapter 17, when, when, when Paul is preaching in Athens... And he, he, he talks to these Athenians and he says to them, he says that, that we live and breathe and have our being in him. It's him who gives us life. He can't give something he doesn't have. God is alive. Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves of that. God is alive. God is alive. Secondly, his presence. We talked about that this morning as well. God's presence is with you. A, God is alive. B, God's presence is with you. He's with you. He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. He's with you. You see... In a second, I'm going to share with you a verse that saved my life. Literally saved my life back in the day. But before I get to that, I want to say this, that there are benefits to your relationship with God. There are things that God wants to do in you. There are things God wants to do for you, and there are things God wants to do through you. And we need to live with that awareness. We need to understand that God is with me, God is working in me, and God is wanting to work through me. There are benefits to your relationship with God. If you've come to faith in Christ and you've given your life to him, but then you think it's business as usual, you are missing out. Then the word of David is the word of the Lord to you this morning. Forget not the benefits of God. Forget not the benefits of your relationship with God. You have someone to turn to in times of trouble. You have a God who's listening. Behind the scenes there is activity, things taking place that you cannot see. You've got to believe that. There are benefits. I wonder how many Christians go through their entire life just not even thinking about the benefits of their salvation here. I'm a little bit like that. My natural inclination is this. Just because of the way I'm wired, I think I'm going to heaven, Alan. What else do you want from God, you selfish individual? That's how I think. That's my natural inclination is when I die, I'm going to heaven. What more could I possibly want? Don't, don't be selfish. I've, I've had to fight these feelings all the time. And I've got to keep going back to the word of God and go, well, but, but the Bible tells me I should ask. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. He said, seek and you'll find. Jesus said, go after these things. But this one part of me that goes, oh, you selfish individual, why could you want more than salvation? You're going to heaven. 
What more could you want? And I've had to come to the conclusion of going, well, that's how I think, but I'm really, it's what God thinks. And God thinks a little different to me. He says, hey, you know what? It's not just about, I purchased you a ticket and it's going to get you to your destination. But guess what? Along the way on the journey, there are some benefits. There are some things that I've got for you on the way to make the journey more comfortable, to make the journey better. I'm a God who provides needs. I'm a God who looks after you. I heal diseases. I forgive you. I redeem your life from the pit. I change your heart. I help break chains off you, shackles off you. I can bust you out of habits that you don't like, that you know are destructive. I can help you get on a straight path. I can do all these things for you. But sometimes I've got to remind myself, these are the benefits of following God. Keep on going in Psalm 103, and I want to tell you a verse that actually saved my life. And, and, I, and I, I want you to understand, I don't mean this figuratively. I don't know where I would be or if I would be or what I would be if it wasn't for this verse and the Lord speaking this to me one day. Psalm 103. And I'm saying all this for this. Next week's Easter, after Easter, I want to spend a little bit of time and let's look at some of the benefits. Let's break down some of the benefits of our present relationship with God and what that means to us, this side of heaven. We all know what it means on the other side. No more tears, uh, no more sickness, no more pain. We, We understand that. But I want to spend some time as a church looking at what are some of the benefits that are afforded to us here. Because I want, I want us to be walking in the fullness of God. Amen? I don't want us just to be uh, 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 you know, people with theories and philosophies. I want us to walk in the fullness. I want, I want to receive everything that God has for me. And I'm not walking in it right now. I know that. I know that God has more for me. He wants to show me more things. He wants to speak more things to me. He wants to change me, conform me more. He wants to, wants to help me deal with some things. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm defeated by this habit or that thought pattern or whatever, but I read a Bible and he keeps saying to me, but, you know, I'll put my spirit in you and I'll, I'll, I'll cause you to walk in my ways. I read in the Bible about a God that says, I can break the chains. We can rewire your mind and your thinking. We can change your heart. We can help you develop good habits. I read all this stuff and I go, you know what? I've still got, I've still got a long way to go, Lord. I've still got a long way to go. So what I want to do in the coming weeks is let's break down, look at some of these benefits of our relationship with God this side of heaven. Is that okay? We're going to do that over the coming weeks once we get through Easter. But right now, I just want to lay a bit of a foundation of what that means. Because here's the thing. It takes a couple of things. You have to believe a couple of things before you'll lay hold of those benefits. And I've already mentioned a couple of them. Number one, if we don't believe God's alive, then forget the benefits. If he's not alive, he can't do nothing for us. If he's just a philosophy, he can't do nothing for us. Secondly, his presence. If he's not present with us all the time, if he's not present with us all the time, then maybe he's absent. Maybe he's on a call when I need him. I really need you right now. God, yeah, I'm on a call. Let's put him on hold. I'll get back to him. And he never does. <laughs> but God is present with us all the time. And the third and most important thing is this, and this is what I want to leave you with this morning. In order to lay hold of the benefits of God... You have to believe that God is good. That God is good. You have to believe that. Here's what most of us do. I've written this statement down because I wanted to not get it wrong. I had this thought come to me. I said this, We judge God's character based on our perception of his actions when we should be judging his actions on the basis of his character. I'll say it again. We judge God's character based on our perception of his actions when we should be judging his actions on the basis of his character. What I mean by that is this. We look at the actions. And if an action appears to be good to us, we judge God as good. 
We look at an action. If the action appears from my perspective to be bad, I judge God's character as bad. It should be the other way around. We should be starting with the character of God is good. If I know the character of God is good, then every action that I see of God, I'll judge that as good, even whether I understand it or I don't. I was thinking this morning about two characters in the Bible. One's Eli in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Samuel, the, bait, the prophet? Remember that? In First Samuel. And Samuel is raised in the temple and Eli's the priest at the time. And Eli's children are doing the wrong thing. They're ripping off Israel. And God comes to Eli and basically says to him, listen, here's the deal. I am going to strip the priesthood from you and your family because of what you guys have done. It's coming. A time's going to come where that's going to happen. So Eli's aware of this. The next chapter, Samuel's asleep and he hears this voice, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up and he runs into Eli. Eli, what? Eli says, go back to bed. I didn't call you. He lays down again. He hears Samuel, Samuel. He gets up. He runs into Eli and he goes, what? Eli says, hey, it's not me. But Eli tweaks. He goes, next time it happens, say, here I am, Lord, what? What do you want to say? So he lays back down and he hears Samuel, Samuel. He says, Lord, here I am. I'm all ears. And the Lord says to him, I'm going to strip the priesthood from Eli and his family. It's not a good message. It's not a nice message. Imagine that being the first prophetic utterance you get to give to somebody as you walk up to the chief priest, the head of the religious order of an entire nation, and the first word that God gives you to give to them is this, you're going down. It's not good. Nobody wants that word, you know? So then Eli calls, it next, calls him in next morning and says, I want you to tell me what the Lord said. And he says, brother, you better not skip a beat. You give me everything. Because I think Eli knew what was coming. And so he says, right, here's what the Lord said. The Lord said this, I'm going to take you down. You're done. Then I thought of Mary. And here's this woman, Mary, and she's, she's without child. And the Holy Spirit comes upon her. But God comes to her first, an angel. And the angel says, this to her, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, well, I'm not married. How's this all going to happen? You're having a child. Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. You know what Eli said when Samuel shared the, prophet, the prophecy with him? Basically, he said, let it be according to God. He said, whatever God thinks is good, let it happen. I thought, wow, that's amazing. I can understand Mary going, according to your will, Father, let it be done. You're a good God, yep, and because you're answering, give me something good. But can you imagine Eli? How, how can Eli sit there and go, this is good? How can Eli say in that moment, and this is his words, read it in the Bible, this is his word, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 18. It is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. How can Samuel say it's good? Well, I believe Samuel can say it's good the same way that Mary said it was good. Because both of them understood this. They understood that the character of God is good. And so they judge the action on the basis of his character, and they knew, well, the action is good. Because the character of the person outworking it is good. If they were looking at it from the other end, I can understand Mary going, yes, God, you're good. But I can also understand Eli going, God, you're a cruel God. You are a cruel God because you're going to take me down and my family and cut off my descendants and my lineage in the future. You're a cruel God. But he didn't start from the basis of his actions and then judge the character. He started from the basis of the character and then he judged the actions and said it's good. And the only way we build a strong, solid faith in this life is by starting with the character of God and making that judgment first and foremost that God is good. 
Regardless of anything else, God is good, and that's not going to change. And if I come from that basis, and I pursue the benefits of God, and I get the result that I want, and I swipe the card, and I get my four cents off a leader, I go, God is good. But if I swipe my card, and for whatever reason, they decided to switch it off to save some money in heaven or whatever. I'm, I'm just using, you know, they don't save money in heaven, they don't need money. But you know what I'm saying? If the giver of the benefit decides to switch it off for whatever reason, I'm going to look at that and go, you know what? It's good. It's okay. Because he knows something. He's got reasons. I don't have to know it all. I'm just the recipient of the gift. I'm the recipient of the benefit, not the giver of the benefit. I understand that the benefit giver has the authority, not the benefit receiver. It's the benefit giver that has the authority. I was 20-something years of age, and I go over to India... And I forgot this. I didn't know this. I kept looking at the actions of what happened around me and then judging God on the basis of actions. And let me tell you something. I went through a period in my life where the actions were amazing. Amazing. Everything I touched turned to gold. I was 20 years of age. I'm at Youth of the Mission uh, Brisbane. And word is getting about that everything I pray for happens, everything I do works. People are coming to me, staff are sending people to little Alan. Go and get Alan to pray for you. Every time he prays, it works. Every time he prays and asks God for money, money comes. Every time he prays for healing, it happens. And this was what was happening. It was amazing, a miracle time in my life. And it's all these blessings are pouring out on me. And then I'm doing this evangelism training school. And every, signs, wonders and miracles, these are happening in Brisbane in a tent in, in the, the 1990s when I was up there. It was amazing. And then I get on a plane and I fly overseas and I get off in India, me and a small group of people, and we're going to live in India for the rest of our life. And we're planning a ministry in central India. And we go out into the slums every day and we preach a simple gospel message. But we say to these people, you don't have to take my word for it. God is good. He can prove himself to you. Come forward. We want to pray for you. They'd come up. We would pray for people that hadn't walked for years and right in front of us, bang. They'd straighten up and go home. We prayed for people who couldn't see, couldn't hear. We saw all kinds of miracles. People being brought in stretches, prayed, they got up and they carried their stretches. All this stuff we read about, it's all happening like that. It was amazing. One day I'm sitting down with this friend of mine, American guy. We shared this little um, sort of house type thing together. And we sat down and here's what we did. We started to have a conversation about what was happening. And we came to the conclusion at 2021, we were only young, 2021, something like that. But we came to this conclusion that we loved God so much and we were so passionate about God, we didn't want anything in our life that was going to destroy that. So we, we, we started asking ourselves, are we mature enough to handle this? I mean, this is pretty amazing. If we were in Australia doing that, we would be on the preaching circuit around the nation, we'd be on Oprah, we'd be, you know, but because we're in central India in this, nobody knows. But we know. And we're just going, this is just, I feel like I'm living in the book of Acts. And we start asking ourselves, can our character handle this? You know? And we came to the conclusion that we better ask God because he knows. So we prayed a prayer that night. We said, Lord, here's the deal. If you can see down the track that we're going to get proud, arrogant, whatever. If you can see that my character can't handle this, God, uh, then take it away. This was our prayer. Stop it. Because we want it, we want, my relationship with you, God, is a, is a marathon. I want to be there in the long run. I don't want to be one of these guys that burns out, one of these guys that gets done for impropriety or whatever. I, I want to make sure that my character is broad enough to handle whatever you place on it, Lord. And we meant it from the bottom of our heart. We prayed that prayer, amen. Got up the next day, went to a slump. Lady came forward like this. We pray for you. We always prayed together, me and him. And so we start praying for this lady. Uh, okay, can you straighten up? No. Oh, okay. 
We'll pray again because Jesus, you know, prayed once and then and, and they saw people like trees, so he prayed again. So he prayed again. Come on, can you straighten up? No. So we said what we always say, oh, just go away in faith and just believe, you know. In other words, out of sight, out of mind. We'll just tell everyone you did get healed, but it's not really like that. So she walked off. Next one came forward. We prayed, nothing. Another one prayed, nothing. This went on for the whole day. Not one single miracle. Which unfortunately in the Western world today sounds kind of normal and acceptable. To us then it was not acceptable or normal because everything was happening. And so this went on day after day, month after month. And after about two months of it, I started to get bitter and I started to get twisted toward God. Because I was looking at these actions and I started to judge God's character on the basis of the actions. When I got to India, there was this group of little girls and they used to come when I'd go downtown on my motorbike, I'd park my bike. These little girls would come out, they'd polish my bike up, scrub it up. And then they'd guard it like guard dogs while I'd go and do my shopping and that. I'd come home. I used to buy them, uh, you know, shoes and little things like that. But their father used to sell the shoes and buy alcohol and that. So I eventually decided, here's what I'm going to do. You watch my bike for me. When I come back, we'd go to the ice cream parlour over there. And I'd buy them all an ice cream. We'd sit on the stairs in the ice cream parlour. We'd all eat an ice cream. And I used to love seeing kids be kids, not beggars, not workers. They were just being kids, laughing, making fun of me because I couldn't understand them. And I'd poke fun at them because they couldn't understand. And we had the greatest of times. I used to love that. After all these miracles started stopping, I started going down there, and here's what I started doing. Get off my bike, and I'd see these kids, and I started looking and going, God, that's a bit unfair. What? Well, God, they didn't ask to be born in India. It's a bit of a cruel joke. They certainly didn't ask to be born to an alcoholic father. That's, that's a bit twisted. Why would you give an alcoholic father in a third world country a child? That's a bit sick, isn't it, God? And over a period of about a month... I started looking at all these things and started judging God as being no longer good anymore because of what I was seeing. I was looking at these actions and I started judging the character of God based on the actions when I should have been leaning on the character of God and judging the actions. Going, I'm not saying the action is good, I don't get it, but God, you're still good. Whether you do or you don't, God, you are still good. It culminated with me jumping on a plane and not telling anybody and flying back to Australia. On the way home, I pulled into Bangkok Airport. I bought a, a that back when we used to have cassettes. Anyone remember cassettes? Bought a little cassette player and Walkman and put a, a cassette in there and found all this music that I knew God would hate because I wanted God to hate me because I hated him because he was cruel, he was mean, he wasn't good anymore. And so I pumped this music through my ears and stuff. I came home. I ended up here in Australia. Ended up going back to Balna. That's where I got saved. It all began there. So I just went back to where it started, tried to pick up my life pre-God. Started doing whatever it is that I wanted to do. But I remember during the day, I'd put the Walkman on. I'd walk up and down the, the laneways behind the main street of Balna with my Walkman on. And, I, and God was with me. And this is the weird thing. I knew where he was. He was about two steps behind me and, and a step off to the left on my right-hand side. I'm here and God was there. And he did this for days. I'm walking along and I would stop. And I must have looked like a madman because I'd say out loud, Leave me alone! And when I would stop walking, I don't know how I know it, but I know this is what he did. He would walk. And then he would stop, stand still, and he would fold his arms and just stand behind me. And every time I'd yell and go, leave me alone, he'd say, you're right, Al, you'll get over this, and when you do, I'll be right here. And he did this for days. Can't tell you how I knew, I just knew where he was, what he was doing, how he was standing, I just knew it. One day, a guy from Brisbane drives down and finds out that I'm back in the country because I told nobody. No one in YWAM, no one, I just took off. Someone found out about it, came down. We sat down, we had a bit of a chat. And all of a sudden I started, all these tears started welling up. So I was a bit of a rock by that stage, I was over it. 
And I started bawling and I started saying to him, I don't get it. I don't understand how a good God can let a child be born to an alcoholic father in India. I don't understand how a good God can let this happen. And all the questions that we ask and we wonder about in the world, all the reasons why the world says God can't be real because of all these bad things, and I just unloaded. And I burst into tears and I started bawling. And while I sat on a jetty on the Richmond River, bawling like a baby, the Spirit of God spoke into my heart. I'd never read this verse before. Psalm 103, and it's verse 7. And it says this. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The New Living Translation puts it beautifully. It says he made known his character to Moses and his deeds to the children of Israel. You think about the Moses and the Israel story. What did Israel do? Love you today, God. Why? Because you're doing all the good things. Oh, we don't love you today, God. Why? Because you're not doing what we think is good. Oh, we love you today, God, because you're doing what we think is good. Oh, we don't love you today, God, because you're not doing what we think is good. Oh, we love you today, God. They were focused on the actions, the activities, the deeds of God. And they were judging the character of God based upon their perception of the actions. Moses, however, knew the character of God. So Moses was constantly trying to pull them in the line, constantly trying to say, no, God is good. Whether we're winning, whether we're losing, whether we're, up, whether we're down, whether we're left or right, God is good. And the Spirit of God spoke that into me and I realised I've got to stop and have a good think about who God is. Because everything else in this Christian faith bounces off this one truth. Is God good? Is he good? Because if you don't think he's good, and here's what I believe, if you do not think God is good, you will forget his benefits. You will forget his benefits. David's speaking to himself, forget not his benefits. He's this, he's this, he's this. The first six verses, he lists these benefits of God. And what's verse 7? He's reminding himself in verse 7, Moses knew your character, God. Moses knew your character. The Israelites, I don't want to be like them. They just looked at what you did. But Moses knew your character, God. Now, if I'm going to remember the benefits of God, if I'm going to not forget the benefits of God, if I'm going to reach out for them, believe for them, expect them, then I've got to believe that God is good. If I don't believe God is good, then I will not remember the benefits of him. I will not go after them. I'll not reach out for them. God is good. So the next few weeks, I want to get through Easter, which, by the way, is the greatest benefit of our relationship with God. We'll talk about that next week, Easter Sunday. When we get through that, I want to go back and I want to have a look at some of the benefits of our relationship with God because the salvation ticket is not just about the destination. There are blessings and things on the journey, along the road, that God wants to pour out upon our life. But I think most Christians, and I'm just blanketing things here, I think most of us get so busy in life and so caught up in the trials and tribulations and so caught up in the successes and victories that we forget that we have a God that is alive, a God that is present, a God that is good, and he has some benefits. He's got a bag of goodies there ready to hand over to us to help us in time of need. Amen. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning, God. And, uh, Lord, just, uh, we want to do what David said. And just remind ourselves today, Father, that there are benefits to following you, God. It's not arrogant. It's not a pride thing. We didn't decide this. We didn't make this up. We're not forcing your hand. You chose. You chose before the foundation of the world to say, when somebody is restored in relationship to me, here's what I want to do. Here's what I will do. Here are the benefits, God. That was your idea. It wasn't our idea. 
God, it's not bad to remember them, pursue them, and ask for them, Lord. And God, I pray for each of us here that we would know that in our spirit. Lord, I pray as we go from this place, Father, even in the next seven days, that we would stop and we would think, God, I pray that we would meditate on that passage, Psalm 103, and we would let those benefits get into our spirit, God. We would, would ask the question, how does that apply to me right now? How do those benefits apply to my life now, the situations I'm facing, the challenges I have? What can I do? How do I connect with those benefits and bring heaven down to earth into my world, Father? And Lord, I also pray as we go from this place in the next seven days, give each and every one of us the opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God, Father, someone that doesn't yet know about it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 God's good. God's alive. God's present. So when you walk out of here, remind yourself of that. And this week, live your life as if God is alive and God is present with you and that God's good. Amen. Amen.